0: Lord, I thank you for this word that you're bringing to us this week through Sheila, Lord. Lord, I pray that this morning we would all hear from you, Lord Jesus, and we would all know it's not through her strength, but through your strength, Lord. Amen. 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 So we're going to start today by one or two readings in John, and we're going to start in John 13. John chapter 13, and then we're going to turn over for just a few more verses. But we're going to have John 13, verses 1 to 20. And it's the washing of the disciples' feet. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' And Jesus answered him, "'What I am doing you do not understand now, "'but afterwards you will understand.' And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me, and I am telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And now we're going to turn over and I'm going to read one verse out of John 15 and then verses 7 to 15 in John 16. And the one from verse fif- uh, John 15 is verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then down to verse 7 in chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Just pray that the Lord will speak to us through his word this morning. Now, yesterday, we left Peter in a place where he was trying very hard to follow Jesus. But more often than not, he was getting it wrong. There was something not quite right about his reactions, and Jesus keeping, was having to rebuke him and speak to him. He wasn't, and he wasn't quite understanding why this was. And the thoughts of going through his head were probably, well, how can I try so hard and still get it so wrong? We left him yesterday where he'd been well-meaning, but Satan had got in. And do you know what? We find ourselves in the same position as Peter. We find ourselves hearing the teaching of Jesus, but not quite understanding. We see ourselves reacting about things from the human standpoint, and it becomes evident in our actions and our reactions and our reactions are quite enlightening because we're torn between living for self and denying self, for going our way and going God's way. But remember the t shirt we had? You know, it, it, I didn't put on the be patient, but I should have done probably be patient. God has not finished with me yet. He still has other things to show Peter, and he has other things to show us. So what is the work that he's still doing in us? Well, we've seen how Peter's relationship with Jesus grew and deepened throughout his life and how important a part this played in his walk and his spiritual growth. And so we've got on now to the real deep teachings of Jesus as he comes to these things. And he's beginning to teach his disciples that walking goes deeper Than just the outward things, the outward things that we do. It goes deeper than that. You know, we sort of obey in faith and he leads us on with him. And now the disciples are learning that walking with Jesus means dealing with our inner principles and attitudes things that are just in us and, you know, they come into our thoughts. things that spring up unbidden. And, you know, in Matthew 18, we find him dealing with these principles and attitudes, things that should mark his people out as being separate from the everyday world. But do they? We need to listen to Jesus. And one of the questions they asked Jesus was, who is the greatest? They asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they argued at one point about who was going to sit next to Jesus. But these disciples were still thinking on a human level. You know, They understood greatness in terms of human endeavor, in terms of accomplishment, in terms of status. And aren't we guilty of doing that so much? That's the way we've been brought up to think but it's not the way God thinks and it's not the way God wants his people to be. These things are prized hum- highly as humans, but it's not the same in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus used an example of a young child. Now, in those days, children were of no, not considered to be important in Jewish society. They, they were loved and they were looked after and they were treasured. But they weren't the things that were great in society. And Jesus says, you know, they were expected to do as they were told. And they didn't want to raise above their station in life. And Jesus says, this is what we should be like. And you know what? Little children, when you see little children, they're happiest with their mummy and daddy. They don't care where they are, so long as they're with mummy and daddy. You know, our youngsters, our grandchildren are happy to come and stay with us. But you should see the joy on their faces when mummy or daddy returns. I mean, it's it's wonderful. And you know how much they love their mum and dad. And, you know, we should be like that. Are we willing to be with Jesus and nothing else? When I first got married... I didn't marry someone who lived locally to me. I married someone who lived in London and I lived in Nottingham. So, Rich had his circle of friends and I had my circle of friends. And when I moved down from Nottingham to London, I left everything behind me. I left all my friends. I left the work I did at the church. I left the fellowship I had. And I was most miserable for a while because, you know, that had been taken away from me. And then Jesus said to me, are you happy with just me? Or do you need all these other things? Was your work for the church a crutch in your walk with me? Were your friends more important than your walk just with me? And it really brought me up with a bit of a start And I thought, yeah, they are. Because when they're not there, I flounder. And it was a real lesson for me that I needed to be, if necessary, just me and Jesus. You know, we all like to be something in the church or we all like to be something where we are. We like our witness to be praised by everybody and this sort of thing. And there's a place for that. And if Jesus wants you there, he'll put you there. But if he doesn't want you there and he wants you just to rest in him and be with him, are you happy to be there? And do you know what? We don't find that out until everything else is taken from us. But it's a lesson to be learnt. And it gives you peace and contentment if you can be happy in either situation. The other thing that um, Peter asked Jesus about was forgiveness. He said, Lord, how many times should we forgive? The rabbis then taught that people should forgive up to three times. And Peter suggested maybe we should forgive up to seven times. He thought, you know, this was a really generous offer. I'll forgive somebody up to seven times and if, if that's it, Well, you know, I can't forgive them. But Jesus said, we must forgive 70 times 7. We must always forgive whatever has happened. Forgiving should be a way of life for Christians. And that's fine, and we all read it, but my goodness, when we are called upon to do it, is it difficult? We can forgive when it's just a small thing, but when it's something huge, something that's hurt us badly, in any way, shape or form, we find it so difficult to forgive. But do you know what? Jesus knows this. Jesus knows we can't do any of this on our own. He knows that he's asking us to alter things that are deep-seated and attitudes that, have been that we can't get rid of, but he's asking us to do this and he's going to deal with it. But now, now it's the last week of his life and he knows that there's very little time in which to show us God's future for his church. And things are quickly, very quickly coming to a climax. It's like the end of this week. You know, it's Wednesday now, it'll be Friday before we know it. It just rolls on, doesn't it? And it gets, you know, we seem to fall into Friday and it, still seems like Monday. He knew the time had come when he was going to be betrayed. He knew the time had come when he was going to go to his death. He knew he was going to rise again and he knew he would go back to God. But he knew that his work here on earth in human form was done. It was completed. So what thoughts was he going to leave with his disciples. Well, you know, years ago, we used to watch a programme called Blackadder. Now, I'm not going to ask if anybody's seen it because I know you've all seen it and I know you probably remember it more than I do. Oh, well. Let me just sort of... I can't remember it very well. I've kept checking my reach. Am I right in this? <laughs> Am I right in saying this? Blackadder was always coming up with complicated plans Complicated plans that never came to pass. They never worked. They were too complicated. Baldrick, who was his servant and came from nowhere, he would always then say, but I've got a cunning plan. A cunning plan. And Baldrick's plan would always be incredibly simple. Downright daft. That never worked either. But it's the fact that Blackadder had these complicated plans and thought he was very clever, but Baldrick had these simple plans. Now, you know, as human beings, we have complicated plans as to how to get to God and how to, to get to Jesus and how to become better in our lives. God has a cunning plan. And Jesus is about to reveal it. And like Baldrick's plans, it's a very simple plan. But unlike Baldrick's plan, this plan works. It works for everybody. It's worked for 2,000 years. And it works whether you live in the city or whether you live in the deepest, darkest jungle or, or whether you live at one of the poles. It, lives, it works everywhere. It works wherever you are in the world and it works whatever time you lived in. So it worked for the disciples. It's worked for Christians all the way in the last 2,000 years and it still works now. And what is this plan about? It's a plan which enables us to deal with our sin. It helps us to live the Christian life that is written in here and seems impossible at times, and it's a plan that presents us faultless before God. Now there's a plan. How anybody could make that plan simple, I don't know, because it does sound complicated. But God made it simple. So what were the final things He wanted to leave in their disciples' mi- in the disciples' minds? What was this plan He had? Well, Jesus was about to reveal it. He knew his time had come. It was his time to show the f- his full extent of love for his people. The big question was how? How was he going to do it? And you know, every picture tells a story. And we have a picture in here, which we have read, about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. This didn't just tell one story. This picture told two stories, so we're going to unpick it and see what it says. So we'll set the scene. They've just been they've just sort of met and they're having the last supper, and they're sharing that meal together. Now, when you when you lived in those days, the, the roads were dusty and your feet got dirty. So people, it was customary for the host to wash people's feet, or to get the servants to wash people's feet when they came in. Now, that doesn't mean an awful lot to us today, but, you know, we went to Uganda, and it became very apparent to us why this illustration meant so much to the people of Jesus' time. Because, you know, many of the roads out there were no more than glorified dust tracks. They might have been rather large glorified dust tracks, but a lot of them weren't tarmacked, And as soon as the wind got up, the dust started to blow. You'd walk along them and your feet would pick up the dust and the dirt from the road. So because when you got to somebody's house, you had to wash your feet. Because you had picked up all this dirt and sand and soil from the road. So this picture was really meaningful to the disciples. And Jesus rose from the table and he came to Peter and he prepared to wash his feet. Peter couldn't believe what he was seeing. He reacted reacted very strongly. This was his Lord, his Lord and his master. It wasn't right that he should wash his, his feet. If anything, it should be the other way around. He should be washing Jesus' feet. Lord, he said, are you going to wash my feet? My feet? And and Jesus looked and said, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. And you know, what he did was a wonderful picture and a demonstration of how the greatest should be prepared to be the least. He washed the disciples' feet. But he said, you will understand later. And that's such an important principle for us to grasp in the Christian life. Because we don't always understand what Jesus is doing or saying to us in our lives. But often, later, when we look back on it, we will grasp the understanding and the meaning and the application it had for us then. You know, and to help us understand do you remember Corrie ten Boom on Monday and the wardrobe of her mind all these things we don't understand are going in here and when God puts us through situations or whatever he puts us through and he wants us to understand he brings out what he put in there and he applies it and then when it is applied we begin to understand it but Peter was still not satisfied. Things weren't going the way Peter expected. And once again, he remonstrated with Jesus. And he was still showing that he didn't fully understand what was happening. And it was a problem for him accepting what was happening. And Jesus had to be very straight with uh, Peter. And he made it plain to Peter that if he did not wash Peter's feet, Peter would have no relationship with him. Well, I don't know what Peter thought when he said that. When he said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. It seems very harsh, doesn't it? Very harsh to say that. But, you know, Jesus was teaching some very important truths here some important truths for Peter and for us as we walk. It wasn't the time now for pussyfooting about. It was very important that Peter let Jesus wash his feet. And once again, Jesus is using picture language because there's a much deeper meaning to this than just the physical washing of feet. You know, when we first come to accept Jesus as Saviour, it is a life-changing experience. The Bible says we are born again. We are a new creation. The Spirit comes into us and that part of us comes to life again. And spiritually, we have a bath. We have a bath and Jesus makes us clean. He draws the line on what's gone before and he makes us clean. We start again with a clean slate. But I don't know about you, but as I walk along, my feet get dirty. My spiritual feet get dirty. I try hard to keep clean for God, but you know, we have to walk in this world. Our spiritual feet are going to get dirty. You know, the temptations that come up before us, the things we look at and we do get a bit immune to the things we look at I'm old enough to know what it was like back in the 50s well the things we look at today in the 50s people would have been horrified so you know these things they tempt us, they make our feet dirty what do we fill our minds with that makes our minds dirty We begin to think about things that we shouldn't do. And, you know, I hadn't told Richard I was going to talk about this, so I'm just going to say that um, years ago, Richard was asked to be on the vice squad when he was at King's Cross. And he didn't do it for very long, but after he'd been doing it for, I don't know how long it was, a few weeks, I began to notice a change in him. And it was quite a subtle change, but he was beginning to get hard. Oh, dear, that sounds terrible. Um, he was beginning to, um, there was a lack of love in his attitude. There was a lack of love in his attitude to the world. It was, you know, and I noticed it, and I noticed it because I, I knew him well. And I said to him that this was happening. And it dawned on us that it was because of the things he was being called on to do at work. Now, we never even gave that a thought. But it taught us a lesson. You know, we'd known Eddie Stride, and he went out to all these places, and it didn't affect him. But we didn't realise that the reason it didn't affect him was because people were praying for him. People were praying for him and the Lord was keeping him safe and unsullied in those things. But it affected our lives. The world can affect your life. People, the people you meet can affect it as well. I mean, there are people I meet sometimes, and I hate to say this, but I cross over to the other side of the road because I think, oh, dear. I don't want, you know I, I don't want to talk to you this morning and the Lord says to me, that's not right. That is not right. You know you should, that's not what I would have done. And there it is again, I've been affected by people. Things they say, things they do, it affects us. Situations can affect us as well. They bring out reactions in us that we shouldn't have. So our feet get dirty. Circumstances. Look how they wear us down. Look how they discourage us. Look how we turn away from the cross and we lose the joy. It's, you know, we can't help but get our feet dirty. And that's nothing compared to what's going on in here. You know, your imagination, the way you think people perceive you, the way you feel unworthy to be with God. It's the world and contaminating us and our feet getting dirty. It's just impossible to stay clean in spite of all our very best efforts. But do you know what? That is not the end. Jesus tells us there is a solution. If we take our failures, if we take our wrongdoings, if we take our un like thoughts and our reactions to the Lord, he will forgive us. He will cleanse us. And once more, he's going to wash our dirty feet and he's going to make us spiritually clean once again. When Peter realized that Jesus was in earnest, his response was typically, you know, typically Peter, wholehearted and enthusiastic. Then Lord, not just my feet, But my hands and my head as well. Jesus' reply was this A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet because his whole body is clean. When Jesus washed us when we first became Christians, our whole body was made clean. As we walk, it makes it dirty. But we only need to go back and have our feet washed. It is not the end of our relationship with the Lord. It is part of that relationship with the Lord that He's there for us. You know, when we acknowledge Jesus as Saviour, we are what's called justified. And what it means is it's just as if I'd never sinned. We've had a spiritual bath and we've been made clean. But we don't stay clean, as we've said, and our spiritual feet need washing. And you know, when I was thinking about this, I thought about some dishcloths that I've got at home. I decided that I would quite like to have white dishcloths. Now, really, I should have a black dishcloth because black dishcloths don't show up the dirt. White dishcloths show up every little bit of dirt know they were pristine at first but as soon as they get in contact with the kitchen they soon become dirty and we try to keep them clean we try to keep them clean in many ways but over the time they become soiled and dirty and we just have to get rid of them we're like those dishcloths we try to keep hard and keep clean for god But we can't help becoming contaminated. And we try to clean ourselves. But, you know, it is impossible to clean ourselves. When I was teaching, we used to tell a story. I used to tell a story about a little duck. And this duck had a pair of new Wellingtons. And he could not wait to get out into the, you know, into the dirt and the rain, and the puddles. And he loved getting wet. Now, it's obvious why sort of children like that as well. They like going out when it's been raining, and they can put their wellies on, and they can jump in all the puddles, and get their wellies dirty. Fine. It's obvious why they get dirty, isn't it? They can't resist the mud and the dirt, and they find it so exciting. And then they come back to mum. And, you know, I once said to our Graham, I said, when you come in, take your dirty shoes off at the back door. So he came in one, he he used to do that quite regularly. Came in the back door, took his dirty shoes off, and then he came in one day at the front door, walked all the way through the house, and took his dirty shoes off at the back door. Well, you know, I can't moan, can I? he did exactly what I asked him to do. He took his dirty shoes off at the back door. But, you know, the footprints used to be left. I don't know why I started talking about that, but it just amused me that he did that. And, you know, we have to go to the cross and that's where we take our dirty shoes off. That's where we go for our cleaning. You know, and we can help ourselves by steering clear of places where we know we're going to be tempted into sin because we find it exciting, etc. But it doesn't help us when we come to get clean again. And when we do fall, Jesus is here telling us it's not the end of the world, it's not the end of our relationship with Him. There is hope. And what must we do about it? telling us that he's not surprised we've got our feet dirty he's made provision for it if only we will come to him and ask, admit our need and ask to be made clean once more we go back to Jesus in repentance and we let, let him cleanse us because we're not always we're not always sort of don't always recognise sin in our lives and that's another thing God does. He reveals it to us. Years ago, I used to drive to work, and in the morning, the sun would be right ahead of me. Now, when I was driving in the shade, I could see through the windscreen. But when you get, and the, sh- the sun is shining on the windscreen, and the bright light is coming through, it shows up the dirt on the windscreen. You know, it. It is there, even though you can't see it, when it, this, it seems okay, it's there when the light shines on it. And when the light of Jesus shines on our hearts, it shows up the sin in us. So what do we do with it? Are we going to try and cover it over? Or are we going to go back to Jesus to have our spiritual feet washed? And, you know, 1 John 1, 1 verses 7 and 9 says this, which will be familiar to some of you. If If we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Doesn't matter how far you've fallen, all sin can be cleansed and all our unrighteousnesses can be cleansed. All we've got to do is admit once more we've become dirty and we've got to go to the cross. God has provided the remedy. God has provided the way to be clean. We have to turn. And you know what? That is so often the rubbing point. But that's only part one part of this story, Now he reveals part two. Because the washing of the feet was normally done by servants. Because it was considered a most menial task. One fit for a slave. So why did Jesus choose to use this particular action to illustrate a point? Well, what better way could he show his great love for his disciples? What better way Could he show them how they were to love one another than by performing this lowly task for them? They were his closest friends on earth. He, He called them to follow him. He knew exactly what they're like. He chastised them. He encouraged them. He'd been there for them at all times. And now he's showing them just how much he loves them and how much they must love one another. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So this is the love that we as Christians should have for one another. It's the sort of love that lasts through thick and thin. It loves the sinner, but not the sin. It's prepared to do anything for other people, no matter what they are like. And it's a love that does not expect any reward. It's a love that manifests itself in service to one another. All the things I find very hard to do. It's not easy, is it, loving in this way? It's something we often find very difficult to do. And you know what? When Jesus did it, Judas was still one of the company. Mm -hmm. Jesus knew that Jesus was going to betray him, and yet he still washed his feet. He doesn't say he washed everyone's but one. He says he washed all their feet. brings a whole new mention to loving and serving one another, doesn't it? It's one thing to love and serve someone we like, it's another to serve someone we don't like, but to serve someone who's betrayed us as well nigh impossible. How do we cope? And you know, Jesus calls his people to be different, to live a life which could testify to the love and the grace of God, to draw others to his kingdom. It sounds wonderful, but how on earth is he going to change me so that I can do that? This morning's talk is becoming like Jesus. How is Jesus going to do that? It's not something comes naturally to us. The human answer is we'll try harder. And the number of times I've heard people say from the pulpit, we have to try harder. It doesn't work when we can't try harder or we think we've done it and failed. We're even in an even worse place than we were. And you know, it's not Jesus' answer to this age old problem. Jesus' answer is more simple and it's more radical than that. Jesus' answer is to change us from the inside. So Jesus is going to change us from the inside. He's not going to improve our outside, but he is going to improve our inside. He's going to bring about different attitudes and reactions. But how on earth is he going to do that? Well, he knows exactly what we're like. He knows our sinful nature, and it knows that it leads us to do in our own way. But he knows that he's, he's he shows us his great love for us. He's already shown us that if we come to him, he can wash away our sin and he can make us clean again. Do you know what? If we bring our unrighteousness to God and to Jesus, he will give us his righteousness. He will give us his peace. He will give us his joy. He will give us his forgiveness and he will give us his cleansing. Now, I think that is a good exchange rate. If we bring our unrighteousness to God, we get all these other things. And when we moved on to John 16, we were talking about another thing that Jesus said he would do. He said when he goes back to the Father, he will send a helper to live in us, not leaving us to live on our own he's not leaving people to stagger on by themselves thank goodness for that where would we be if he was he's sending us a helper who will help us in every way that Jesus did when he was on earth and that helper is called the Holy Spirit and he takes the place of Jesus in our heart not just by our side but in us and in us forever He points out where we're going wrong and he speaks the word of Jesus to us and he points us to the cross where we can have our spiritual feet cleansed. And he's also called the Parakletos, he's the Comforter. In times of great need, the Spirit brings comfort and peace within the storm. If we need a helper, he's there to help us in all situations. If we need a counsellor and we're confused, the Holy Spirit can put our thoughts right and in the right, point us in the right direction. He is Jesus' advocate to me. He speaks to me about Jesus. And do you know what? He speaks to Jesus about me. He's our intercessor, He helps us in our weakness in prayer. If we don't know how to pray, he prays for us. All we have to do is sigh to the Lord, and he knows what we want. Helps us in our daily lives. You know, he's an encouragement. I used to do the staff, and I used to do Bible studies for the staff when we were met at the quinta. And uh, that was fine. And you know, I, w- I went home from there and by November I was be, you know, how you do the the year goes on and you begin to come down for your platform and you come down to reality and I was getting a bit down and do you know what came through my door a card and it was a card that one of the staff at Quinter had drawn for me and it said on it thank you for all the help you've given us and everybody had signed it oh what an encouragement that was it, it lifted my spirits and the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit had told them to do it he put it in their minds and it was there to encourage me he guides us he tells us what to do he unsettles us prepares us for change if necessary he speaks specifically through the word when we were wondering whether to move the word came to us leave your father's house which dad, built the house we were living in. It was so specific. Leave your father's house. It was literally his father's house. The Lord speaks through the word into our specific situations. It's wonderful. He'll use others, circumstances. Do you know what else he does? And I think this is as important as anything else. He stops us from doing things. He stops us from doing things he doesn't want us to do. Such an important little job, that is. He comforts us in time of need. So all these things are set in place to enable us to become more like Jesus. God had a plan. And God's plan meant, and it was such a simple plan, sin is dealt with on the cross forgiveness and cleansing is there for those who turn to him and repent the Holy Spirit is living in us to give us power to live for him and as we repent and we get that part of us cleansed the Holy Spirit will fill that space and we become more like Jesus as we walk along Peter didn't understand this at first, but later he did because he writes in his first letter. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to God's people. And he said, God the Father knew you. And chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy to set you apart for him. And as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Peter came to understand because the Spirit revealed it to him. And he's reminding us all: we've been chosen by God, that the Spirit sets us apart. Our position with God is that we've presented as holy before God. But our progression before God is that as the Spirit points it out, we and sin is there, we need to change and we need to let the blood cleanse us. And he points us to the cross, the cross for the cleansing by the blood. Peter had learned his lesson well. And he'd found it worked in practice. He'd applied it to his life. And now Peter wanted others to know about that liberating joy and freedom that this brought. Right. So, I have some questions here. We've only got five today. You'll be pleased to hear So, question one. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. What was he teaching us through this? Question two. How is the washing of the disciples' feet a picture of becoming like Jesus? Question three. Jesus says we should serve one another. In what areas do you think we can do this? Or do we do this? Question four, how does the Holy Spirit work in a Christian's life? And question five says, in Galatians five twenty-two to 23, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. As we walk with Jesus, these fruits should be shown in our lives. So how do the fruits of the Spirit manifest themselves in people's lives? And you know, these questions are to encourage us to think about what Jesus has done for us. But they're also to make us think about what he's done for everyone and how it applies in our own lives. So, what Jesus has done for us, how it applies to everybody, and how it applies particularly to us.